0: everyone welcome back to almost familiar my name's elizabeth i'm here with my good friend Wes. thank you so much for tuning in and hanging out with us we're so excited that we finally launched this project just about two weeks ago now i think today's episode will feel almost familiar to you because i think we all have that one friend who moved to colorado so i invited my friend who did that her name is shelby and she tells her story about what brought her to colorado from the east coast and what made her stay
1: When we recorded this episode, Base Nectar's scandal hadn't broken yet and we hadn't come to learn who Lauren Ashton was as an individual. So there is a lot of praise going on at this time and we would just like to especially acknowledge that it's okay to still like Base Nectar events and the memories you made there because Base Nectar is much more than Lauren Ashton and the things he did. A lot of those experiences were so memorable and incredible because of the work that his entire staff went to to put them on. So just want to say we know Base Nectar has done some bad stuff as a person, but the brand we still have very fond memories of.
0: Yeah, I mean, Shelby and I wouldn't be as close if we hadn't traveled to see Base Nectar together multiple times, but our friendship and our relationship has nothing to do with Lauren. It's not like we were talking during any of the sets and became close. It's everything that happened outside of the set, whether it was her picking me up from I think it was Poughkeepsie so that I could get to Mysteryland, land or you know working together to get all of our friends on the floor at the venues that did the floor wristbands which I fucking hated and you know making sure that we all have water and just all of the intention that we put to traveling or hosting each other in each other's spaces and cities for Base Nectar when he would come through and you know it's it's so much more than the artist and I think it goes to show that in some cases it's important to separate the artists from the music that they produce and that they make. And, you know, sometimes you have to take a break from the whole damn thing and that's okay too. Her boyfriend Thomas also joins us and he took a break for a completely different reason and from a completely different scene. Well, kind of a related scene, but from the, from the live painting scene, more, more so in the jam community. And he is, so modest for someone whose artwork is hanging up in Billy from Papadozio's house and I wouldn't be surprised if one of you listening has seen his artwork or maybe even owns one of his prints because he's done work with Papadozio and Lettuce and STS9.
1: And again thanks so much for everybody and the kind words you've had about our first two episodes you know we're definitely still working through a couple technological glitches here and figuring out how to swim deep in these podcasting waters. But you know just we ask it. We do have some social media channels, so if you want to follow us to wherever you're on social media, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there to At almost familiar podcast. So we hope you guys really enjoy this episode and we can't wait to talk to you soon. Until then, let's get familiar with Shelby and Thomas.
0: So Shelby, I know I know Wes from Syracuse, uh, and Ethan knows Wes from like running the street team or being on the street team for the venue that Wes works at, and um, and then we started seeing Pretty Lights a lot together. And Shelby went to high school with Ethan.
1: Oh no shit!
0: So that's kind of how we all know each other, yeah.
1: <laughs> Has he changed, or is he literally the same person, just older?
0: Oh, one hundred percent the same person.
1: Yeah, I love it.
2: Yeah, he's just he's just like he can get away with things better I now know. because he's an adult.
1: <laughs> Literally just watching Ethan navigate life. I'm always in the background yeah, like you're telling me how <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you married right into it. Yeah. <laughs> well, right on, that's cool. So Thomas, how long have you known Ethan Elizabeth? Just through Shelby?
3: Yes. Yeah. So we've been dating for a little over two years now, and I met them ago officially actually at freestyles
2: yeah so was that last june
3: yeah yeah so that would have been a year ago yeah nice that was my first i i've known of everybody but haven't actually um, just come out and seen them yeah right on well that's cool
0: yeah that was also thomas's first space nectar show oh shit well fuck yeah one thing that the three of you have in common that i don't is that y'all have a relationship with colorado in some capacity
1: mm, everyone does these days what's your guys relationship to colorado
2: um let's see i have lived out here since the summer of uh 2016 it was kind of a very very spontaneous decision to uproot my life and kind of plant it here um came out for for base center 2016 with the whole noodle crew and then just decided not to leave so i've been living here ever since
3: and then for me i've I I moved out here in, I think I have the year right of 2014, maybe it's 13. And I kind of, I moved here, moved away, moved back, moved away, moved back uh, over the past six or so years. So it's been a, but I've been here consistently for about four years now. Now, what part of Colorado are you guys living in now?
2: Um, We live in Summit County, Breckenridge, oh, so cool. we are right in the heart of S- 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 Ski Town,
1: there you USA.
2: Go. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wonderful.
1: What is the kind of music culture up there? Because I know in Denver, it's, it's always been thriving, but Mountain Town's got to be pretty popping too.
2: I mean, yeah, definitely. It's it's pretty solid. It's kind of you know trying to establish a little bit more of a name for itself. Um, we actually have a music venue that opened up in Frisco called 10 Mile Music Hall, which is like the town over from us. It's... Uh, probably like a like 750 yeah, cap room 750
1: cap room yeah. so
2: they, they're they kind
1: of it's a beautiful venue i've seen pictures of it
2: yeah it's pretty it's pretty solid and it's you know it's really nice because it's you know allowed for a lot of bigger names to come in like leftover salmon did their halloween show and that's what that was like the grand opening of the venue so it's been pretty cool and then you know we have like a, a couple little bars here and there you know i know that like over the years there have been a lot of venues that have kind of come and gone um so it's definitely an ever-changing atmosphere as most, you know, music worlds are.
3: Yeah, it's it's a little bit more focused on the local, uh, smaller music scene. Um, but the people here do love music. I think the biggest focus is either jam bands or a lot of bluegrass. Um, there's a lot of light like, country influence here too. Um, it is kind of like the Wild West out here. Uh, it's very different from Denver. But I think that that's... a uh, the other, other than major shows, like we do have immediate access to Red Rocks and Ten Mile Music Hall. But a lot of the the smaller, smaller venues, like restaurant style, are uh, definitely still filled up the majority of the time whenever there's a show.
2: Yeah, and we are. I mean, we are only an hour away from Red Rocks and an hour and a half away from Denver. So it's a quick hop and a jump on the highway, and it's. I mean, it's really accessible, which is really awesome
0: have either of you spent time in Denver? Did either of you live there before, before this?
2: Um, I lived there for a summer actually. So, so when I first moved out here, that was the summer of 2016. And I kind of just, you know, got a job on a food truck. I worked, um, I worked, um, what was that festival? Vertex festival. It was a one-year festival run by Madison house. It lasted for, yeah, it lasted for a summer. And then, the community of Buena Vista decided they didn't want us around anymore. <laughs> so now it's just home to, you know, some smaller festivals.
1: What kind of festival was Vertex Festival?
2: So it was, oh, who had, it was like Odessa, Lettuce, Seven Lions were like the headline. It was awesome. It was an insane festival. Like I said, that is Madison House. So it's the same people as Electric Forest. And they were kind of just trying to expand their market a little bit into Colorado. And that was the weekend after Bay Center. So so I kind of just, you know, decided that I was going to stick around and I was like, "Hey, I'll just I just need to make it work until I can go to this festival and then work the festival for the weekend and then kind of figure it out from there." Um and then I stayed in Denver um until November of that year. Um and then I moved up to Breckenridge and then I moved back down to Denver the following summer. So the summer of 2017 I was living in Denver. Um, and then I moved back up here the following winter and now I've haven't left since.
1: Now, you've mentioned the word base center at least twice now, which brings us to the man himself. Uh, (laughs) Big base
2: heads, question mark? Me, absolutely. He is the reason that I travel and do everything. (laughs) Like, I... I go, I go out of my way to see to see the man himself on a very regular basis, and I've kind of brought brought Thomas into that world a little bit more.
3: Yeah, yeah, I've definitely become more inclusive in that. Not necessarily as gung ho. I do very much enjoy the opportunities that I've been able to um, go to shows, but uh, I'm more uh, rooted in the hardcore and punk scene.
2: <laughs> yeah, Thomas and I actually initially connected on our love for the heavier realm of music and our first our first date was a a metalcore show band norma Jean, um it, at the marquee in denver so so we kind of
1: they fucking shred
2: yeah, yeah <laughs> insane. <laughs> so yeah. that yeah that was like our first date and like i had a broken arm i was in a sling and he was in the pit the whole time and i was like okay he's perfect
3: <laughs> <laughs> and here we are now
2: yeah, and I mean it's been nice because you know I've kind of like brought him into like the heavier electronic world. Not that he's a stranger to it, because you know he's he's worked in the music industry for way before I started Be getting into <laughs> getting into music. Yeah, so. Before
3: I was born. <laughs> what do you do in the music industry, Thomas? So I, I did a lot of stuff. I was a lighting and visualization tech. I've done visuals for a few bands, um, large and small. Uh, but most of what I did, actually, I got started with live painting and then um, moved into um, more like merchandise production. A lot of poster production, um, made oh, some cool. posters for bands like Santana and, uh, and Tribe and made a lot for Papadocio and stuff like that. So I, I focus a lot. A lot of my time and energy went into um, screen printing poster production. And design.
1: Now, I think one of my first immediate questions is, what is it like being someone for you, Thomas, that goes from this hardcore kind of punk scene into Bass Nectar? Because that's almost it could be a total 180 in some aspects. Or what are some of the similarities you see, if there is any for you?
3: There are definitely some similarities. Um, I think the biggest change is just the sheer quantity of people. Um, It's a different kind of atmosphere, but I think the heart in it is still the same. And I, I actually really like heavy electronic music because I think it brings more people into a heavier genre of music that maybe wouldn't have gravitated there in the first place. Um, so I do really enjoy that that they can they can see that heavy music isn't just screaming and hating your parents. it's <laughs> it's so much more than that. it's it's there's a release to it. And so that's what I've always loved about you know, hardcore and punk and and all those kind of uh, bands.
0: yeah, bass sector's about as heavy as I'll go for someone that's not into the punk or hardcore scene like but I totally get what you're saying about the release because I feel like I haven't given metal a fair chance to be honest like I've never been to a metal show so I'd be curious to hear actually what your recommendation would be for someone like me that is totally into bass nectar totally enjoys like heavy bass music like but I don't think I would like screamo and I feel like that I just think all metal is screamo because I don't know I'm just generalizing but what would you recommend for someone like me
3: I think going into like trying to transition somebody or give them an entry to or a, a, a gateway rather <laughs> um, into heavier music might be bands that have uh, correlating components like synth a little bit of like electronic nature to it um and maybe some of the prettier tones uh band that i don't hear a lot of people talk about but i personally love is Rolo tamasi um very heavy very awesome but very uh like i feel like a lot of people can appreciate a lot of different things about it it's it's got a, a technical skill behind it it has pretty synths and um, female vocals at times, while also breakdowns and screaming and some of the heavier stuff. So you can see how they mix that and how they can make that intertwine beautifully and make something entertaining that doesn't just hurt you.
2: And I, I would say this is definitely like a question that I ponder a lot because I, you know, I like having the the overlap of like the heavy music and the electronic music. So um my top two recommendations for people would be um this band called Chan, Chon C H O N. Um they are signed to Sumerian Records. Um so it's a it's a um like metalcore label. Um but they are like very instrumental, like really really p- pretty instrumental, but they kind of like their their tone on their instruments is a little bit more in the metal world. Um, but like really awesome. Like when I show people that band, they're like, "Oh my god! Like this is crazy! Like I didn't think that like this realm of music could be this pretty." Um, and also, Deftones is one of my favorite bands of all time. And Nectar Absolute
0: actually,
2: ne- yeah, Nectar um, makes a couple of their songs, and he like uses samples of their music, and they kind of do a really good job at covering like the pretty stuff and the heavy stuff. And it's really easy to kind of like only seek out like the pretty stuff or the heavier stuff in, you know, their whole in their whole repertoire.
3: Yeah, those are both really good recommendations. And another one that I would say is a very small band from close to my hometown. um, Pygmy Lush uh, is a fantastic band that does even on the same album will go back and forth on doing acoustic and they actually rotate instruments. So they'll play different things for different songs. Um, Very beautiful frequently sad songs but then like transitioning into heavier songs and they'll actually have the same song done acoustic as they do like heavy going uh from even on the same album so they have one called send bombs and it's they do it acoustic first and then they do it super heavy later and it's all the same everything so there's definitely something to be appreciated in that
0: I like what you said at first about synths, the similarities between um, heavy bass music and like that. What was the name of that first band that you said?
3: A uh, Rolo Tomasi.
0: Yeah. Cause I think synths are the linking point for me with the electronic music I like and the jam bands that I like because I gravitate more yeah. towards STS9 and Papadozio and Dopapod. And at least I think I'm hearing synths. That's how I describe them in my head, but I think they're kind of like the synthier bands and It makes me curious about you in particular, Shelby, because I think there's I think you have um, a big overlapping music taste between bass music and jam music, from what I know about you. So I'm curious to hear from you what it is about those two genres that you like, because they're so fundamentally different.
2: Yeah, I mean, honestly, like that's something I think about a lot and sometimes you know like the the overlap makes total sense and sometimes i just don't really understand where it comes from like i i like it when shit gets heavy like (laughs) that is really what it boils down to so like number one jam band for me is i'm freezing gee like they get so heavy and it's so awesome and like you know just like the the shows that i will go out of my way for are the ones that get super super heavy like i remember um a friend of mine uh, wanted to go to a show down in Denver and he kept saying he was like yeah we got to go to this boombox cartel show and I was like "Eh, I don't really like boombox I don't think I want to go out of my way for boombox like I like them but I don't really want to go all the way down to Denver and then he was like no no it's boombox cartel like I got you and we get down to the show and I was like what like yeah this is not boombox like boombox cartel like gets so heavy like this is awesome I was like okay cool like I'm
1: way less sleepy than regular boombox <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> I was like okay good and he was like he's like you know Shelby I wouldn't steer you wrong like I got you like I'm not gonna make you go out of your way for a show that's gonna make you fall asleep and I was like dude you know what I appreciate that like I appreciate how you know how well my my friends know that I can like, you know, I like to get down. <laughs> like I, I like I like it when it gets heavy. And but it's funny because, you know, in the same breath, like I also really like I love Emancipator. And like that's like my study music. And that's my like super chill. Like I, I want to just like hang out and like read a book and listen to Emancipator. And you know, I like need to separate from the world of heavy. And it's like everything in that realm, like anything that's kind of related to them. Um, I can really enjoy it as well, and I don't, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how to really explain what, like, you know, why my taste is so overlapping, but also so vastly different.
1: I think it's funny that you bring up Emancipator because I find that that is like the mo- electronic artist that almost everyone I know knows, and it doesn't matter what their core music experience is. It's just the one they're like, you know. But there's this electric guy, Emancipator. Love
2: him. You can't hate and it. His music is just so timeless. Yeah. It's just so pretty. <laughs> you, you can't hate him. Have you seen them before? Um, yeah. We saw let's see. I went to um I actually went to the Oregon Eclipse Festival in what was that, 2017. Um, and I think that was that was my first my first time seeing him live and it was incredible. I mean, that whole festival was absolutely insane. And then Sonic Bloom this mm-hmm. past summer, we saw him with the whole band, and that was really fun <laughs> yeah, That's a great set yeah
1: <laughs> i was i think i was maybe like three people deep from the rail just i wanted to be as close to them as possible
2: yeah that's you know like you, you don't think that it can get much better and then there's a whole band and it's like holy crap like this is incredible <laughs> like i didn't think it could get any better
1: now were you guys working at sonic bloom or are you there as fans
2: um we actually were working for a food truck at bloom
1: is that the logo on your shirt thomas
2: Yes. Oh, yeah, actually.
1: Is that the Vegetable Express? Yeah, it oh, is. God. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> does the name Lucia ring a bell from Sonic Bloom?
3: Lucia? Yeah. Yeah, that does. I don't know. She
1: ate so many fucking cheese sticks.
0: <laughs>
1: That's I her specialty, really that Oh, yeah, they're bomb. She oh, came my... back the first day of camp, and she's like, there's a place that sells vegan cheese sticks. You made the whole <laughs> festival for her.
2: That's amazing. Yes, they're amazing. Car- yeah, Karen and Jason are incredible people, and they are doing everything right.
3: Yeah, they're nailing the game.
1: That's so funny. I wonder if we linked past at Sonic Bloom.
2: Probably. We yeah, must
1: have. It's such a small
2: exactly. festival. Yeah,
3: it's a, it's hard to it's hard to miss them too. They're huge dreads on top of their heads with <laughs> a giant black trailer that says Vegetable Express on it, and they're always hustling. He's yelling at everybody walking by like they're. They're great people. They're they so awesome. are yeah. absolutely fantastic. We ran into them by happenstance at uh, Camp Up for the Cause. We were working uh, for Benominum.
2: Yeah, that's my, the, yeah, the first job I ever got when I, when I initially, you know, stayed planted in Denver um, was on this food truck called Benominum. Um It's essentially vegan ice cream. We take frozen fruit and whip it up and make it soft serve. Um, and we use this machine that the owner actually designed and patented and did everything all herself so it's it's a very cool one-of-a-kind product um and i've been working for her you know on and off since since that first summer um and then you know last year she kind of like she she did a lot of she does a lot of um like food truck rallies and like very basic like city of denver kind of stuff and and then when i started working for her she you know she understood my connection to festivals and music world and she was like you know what like maybe we should like dive into festivals and see if we can do well it's like you would absolutely kill it at festivals that so we should um and so we did camp out for the cause in bv um, actually at the same venue that vertex festival was at but it's just like a much smaller much tamer festival it's only like 1500 people super
3: family friendly like children running around yeah everywhere. like billy it was... strings
2: headline it was <laughs> billy strings and the california honey drop so it was like definitely more low-key but really really fun and yeah, then
3: amazing amazing experience
2: yeah so we were working that and then you know we were trading food with the vegetable express the whole time because they're vegan we're vegan so we were living off of each other's food and um and we you know got to talking and they mentioned that they were going to be at sonic bloom and I was like, oh, my God, please, like, take me with you, like, if you need any more staff. Um, and then we just stayed in touch with them. And we ended up working for them at Bloom, and it was the most fun. And we got really lucky because we worked, like, the daytime shifts because the other people that were working there, like, like to rage at night. And I was like, I could still work during the day and rage at night. So, mm-hmm. so we got the best of both worlds. <laughs> But yeah, it was it was really fun. It was and their food is so good and that whole experience is incredible. And I don't I don't know that we would have gone to Bloom if we didn't have that opportunity. We would not have. Yeah. We we're so broke. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Was that your guys' first time going to Bloom? Yeah.
3: Not mine. Oh gosh. I've done it a few times. Not
1: yours? No. Oh cool. Have you guys done the food vending at heavy metal festivals? Is that a really big market?
3: Uh, I have not done it personally um I actually don't go to a ton of metal festivals yeah they're
2: so much harder to come by honestly and like especially I mean yeah especially out here they don't really exist and yeah I've you know I've been working food and beverage for years um and I actually I worked a bunch of festivals back east um like my first few festival seasons um and I kind of like volunteered at festivals and then got jobs like working for food vendors but it was kind of just like we'll be here so you can come here or not and I kind of just ended up at all of these random awesome festivals and got free food and paid the whole time and still got messed up and partied my face off so it was perfect Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I, I mean like I think we've only been to, like, one metal festival together.
3: Yeah, and we went all the way to Norway for it. <laughs> yeah. Norway. <laughs> yeah, Mitzgor was a, a Viking black metal festival on a Viking burial ground. Uh, one of my favorite bands, Heilung, uh, was headlining there, and it, I kept her totally in the dark about it. And then uh, we were going to Israel for a... Uh, wedding and I was like well you know we wanted to stop by Sweden but what's another stop to Norway it's only four days before the wedding
2: (laughs) yeah the the festival (laughs) yeah the festival ended like the day before like the first of the wedding shenanigans so we were like okay cool like we can go to Norway and then just like hop on a plane and just make our way to Israel and it was awesome and perfect and we managed to do the whole festival and make it in time for the wedding and it was it was great it was freaking crazy like it was like a viking festival like they literally like did the whole like they opened the gates to valhalla and like smeared blood on their faces and that was like the opening ceremony and then you know it was they're howling it's eight o'clock they're howling sorry (laughs) it's like what's happening outside i was wondering Um, what that was yeah yeah it's it's eight o'clock over here (laughs) um and yeah and it was i mean it was so cool it was like such a such a crazy awesome festival and like there was so much English. Like, everyone was speaking English. And, like, most of the people there were actually American. And I saw this girl wearing a vest. And
0: I don't know if I should stop. I have a question Is it children or an animal? Uh, it's children. Yeah. It's children
3: screaming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and a, a human man yelling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could shut the window. Stop like, the
1: I part. I got to oh. know. Like, it's real blood
2: they're smearing on themselves. Yeah. yeah. Like, we, like, saw, like, there was some guy that, like, he, like, Cause you stand in a circle and then they have this like bowl of blood in the middle of the circle. And you like, you take this like bundle of leaves and you like put it in the, put it in the blood and then you like say the name of a God. And then you like smack this totem that they have. And like, and so people are like smearing on their face and then smacking the totem and then they're like coming back out. Cause it's like, they want everyone to get an opportunity to do it. And there was one guy that came out and he was like, like licking his lips. He was like, yep, it's real blood. <sighs> It's like, oh, oh God. Okay, cool. I'm 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 just gonna stay a spectator with this.
3: Yeah, it's like the <laughs> mentality of like what the sacrifice means to you.
0: Is metal always that performative? Like is that part of it does it have a performative component to it the way that like Bass Nectar shows do or that pretty lights shows do, where there's a whole like supplemental or like you know, what, what you do, Thomas, like do they do that at metal shows?
3: Um it depends on the band um and every band does it differently godspeed you black emperor will do real to real projections and melt film on stage and do awesome stuff like that that is the best thing ever and then other bands are just pure raw energy like uh like converge um they don't have any visuals they usually just have a banner and jacob bannon just uh screams his heart out and sprints around stage and so there's you know there's a wide variety of performative elements. Um, last time I saw Circa survive and that's the metal that's a little bit more accessible, but you know, it's a, it's very light show oriented. Um, and it's uh, it's definitely, it, it ranges wildly. Um, and I think that's, that's one thing that makes every like heavier show uh, much more unique in that way is that there is a little bit of, a little bit of something unique for each one
2: and you know like this festival that we went to um the like the headlining band High highlong like they they refer to themselves as amplified history like they don't have any like typical instruments like they don't have guitar drum kit none of that like they literally use like animal bones and like the human voice at like ridiculous volumes and sounds and it's A really crazy experience so it was like for for them to be headlining like they actually put on like a special performance that was like dedicated to like you know the the burial grounds that we were at um and so they definitely like you know and then you know just that that whole festival in general it's just like it's more it was more viking festival than it was metal festival
3: yeah
2: um and it was i mean it was it was just such a cool experience and you have all of these people that are like you know, they're like, their ancestors were Vikings, and they are so deeply rooted in that culture. Um, And you have all of these like crazy bands that were like dressing up like old timey Vikings. And there was like a whole Viking village where they were like, you know, like foraging boats and like doing all of this crazy, like, straight up Viking stuff. And it It was so cool. And like, definitely not like anything I have ever experienced before. And it's like, I don't I don't think we would really get that you know, outside of, you know, Viking world Norway.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That'd be like walking out of a base nectar show to actual aliens just walking around near you.
3: (laughs) That's, yeah, that's the (laughs) most precise comparison to the electronic world that you could possibly make.
2: (laughs) But I mean, like I was saying, like before the howling, um, you know, we, you know, we we heard a lot of English and there was, you know, all of these like American people there. And I actually saw this girl wearing a vest with a bunch of patches on it. And she had one patch that was from uh, Black Shirt Brewing, which is um, on Santa Fe in Denver. And I like went up to her and I was like, "Black Shirt." I was like, "That's that's Denver." And then I saw she had another patch that's true. And they are these like metal Denver breweries. And I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, are you from Denver? And she's like, "Yeah, actually, we just moved from Denver to Maine, but we come out here every year." It's like, "Oh my god!" Like, what a small freaking world. In not Norway,
3: we see her, Denver. Not to mention her Denver six 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 patch. No, oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that feels a <laughs> pretty
2: telltale. Yeah, no, it's
0: great. <laughs> How's the metal scene in Denver or in Colorado in general?
2: Awesome. Yeah, Denver is definitely the place for it, but it's, it's really awesome. And it's, you know, it's so cool because I, you know, I've lived in New York, I've lived in Vermont, and that's, that's pretty much the only places I've lived in other than Colorado. And it's like, you go to other shows and it's like, you know, I don't know if you are familiar with the term crowd killing. But basically, people go to metal shows, and they just go out of their way to beat up everyone in their path. And it is so violent and so toxic. And it just like ruins the whole experience. It's like you want to get in a pit and you want to throw each other around, but you want to make sure that someone's going to pick you up if you fall. And like, in New York, you kind of had it in Vermont, not at all. Vermont was terrifying. And then you come out here and it's like, the most warm and cuddly, craziest mosh pits I've ever been in. <laughs> like, there's so much fun, and there's, like, so much heart and soul, and, you know, and then you have, like, these bands that, like, it, no matter the genre of music, every, pretty much every single artist I have seen in Denver has said, We love this city. We love coming here. This is one of our favorite cities to play at. You guys always bring it. And it's like, I never heard that in New York. I never heard that in other places. It's like every once in a while you hear it like there's, you know, something special about their connection to, you know, that city. But in Denver, it's just like you people are awesome. We love playing for you because you give us exactly what we need out of our performance. And And we love coming back here. And it's just, like, so nice to hear, like, like I said, regardless of the genre, like, I've been to electronic shows, I have been to metal shows, I have been to, like, jazz shows, like, it doesn't matter what genre, like, like, people love playing in Denver, and it's so awesome.
1: I think a lot of that has to do with just the people of Denver and Colorado love music that way. You know, like, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm actually from Colorado, and I moved out here for college, and I just kind of been here since, but... I remember even when I was in high school, like hearing about bands like Umphreys McGee and you know, your sound tribes was like the cool thing to do. But I had a super lame mom. So I'd be like, ah, like that would be cool someday. And now I do <laughs> stuff at those shows that I would never tell my mom about.
0: I also think that the crowd is pretty different in Colorado, just from the few times that I've been out there. And I've always gone for music. But I really always noticed there the bass nectar crowd is a lot more tame in Colorado than it is on the East Coast, at least in my opinion. Do you? find that to be true Shelby or would you do you not notice a difference between east coast and elsewhere base nectar crowds
2: um you know I think that I I think I've kind of like steered away from like going to like you know festivals that base nectar is at and rather going to like just base nectar centric things so I think like in that in that realm, it's kind of changed for me. So it's hard, it's hard to say like, you know, if it's, if it's because I'm going to like specifically base nectar events versus like going to a festival where the base heads need to see their God. So they're going to camp out on the rail. And it's like that. I just, it, it's so toxic. So I kind of, you know, it's just a lot easier to like stay away from it, but I definitely, I mean, you definitely feel the love in Colorado so much more. I think people are like a lot happier to like be together and, you know, like be experiencing the same thing versus like i need to get this and i need to make sure that i have the best experience as opposed to like in denver it's all like i need to make sure that i have a nice experience and that everyone around me is also having a nice experience
1: it's interesting that you say that because i also feel like there's just some weird kind of energy that i think it might just be an east coast thing elizabeth how different is the general vibe over there because i know that's what i think about the east coast and at bisco you know, where it's just like your casual fan is, just like you get in their space and it can go very poorly, very quick. Where it's just like you know, an immediate jump in attitude.
0: Yeah. Are you asking about my experience on the East Coast or in San Francisco?
1: Both. I mean, have you noticed? Because you were in New York City a lot. Like I, I don't go to shows in New York City too much, mostly because I hate New York City so much.
0: Yeah. I, I hate. I kind of hate New York City. I hate Manhattan as well. But um I always found people more aggressive on the East Coast. It was just like the territorialness of the space or even like getting into the venue like just feeling like a lot more anxiety on the east coast and in colorado like it's just so much more smooth and also like you see fewer people get taken out in colorado than you do on the east coast at least from my experience it seems like the medical tent is always not overwhelmed but like people are always there on the east coast and in colorado i feel like it's not as intense
3: i think that there's a built-in aggression on the east coast being from there but going to so many shows not necessarily base nectar but festivals in general everything east coast midwest um southern and west coast it's just the further east you go there's just like this built-in aggression i think you nailed it with like the territorial um people are fighting for their space i don't necessarily see that as true um from colorado and west and then the south and the midwest are kind of these strange different breeds but that's kind of what I've noticed. Is East Coast definitely has just, um, yeah, I think territorial just nailed, nails it.
2: Yeah, you've definitely got a good gotten a good taste of all of the festivals. Yeah, you have like a massive like, sample size. Yeah, like tens of hundreds of festivals a season <laughs> for year. <so. laughs>
1: <laughs> What's your guys' favorite festival that you've been to or that you go to regularly?
2: You know, the festival that changed festivals for me was FarmFest in jersey teeny tiny little garbage festival that like
1: we love garbage festivals yeah <laughs> it, was,
2: it was the first festival i went to solo um first time i ever did acid um and i was just like by myself and had this like and you know i camped next to these really awesome people and like you know my first experience was just like working a shift like at the gate and it was it was the second year they did the festival um, so it was an absolute shit show. It was like a total mess. I mean, I don't think it ever got better. <laughs> um, and, and it was just like, it was, it was such a mess and so bizarre. And I think the only name I was familiar with on the lineup was Moonhooch. Hooch. And I, I didn't know anyone. I didn't know any of the headliners. I didn't know anything, but I signed up to volunteer like months before. And I was like, you know what? I have to pull the trigger and I have to do this. And and then Ethan ended up showing up and didn't have shoes the whole weekend. And he was just wandering around like the look that he is (laughs) and just like made it work. And we like ran into each other every so often. And I actually like ended up not even working my second volunteer shift because I was like, you know what? I'm okay with paying for this festival because I'm having such a good time. And they wouldn't even know where to put me if I showed up for my shift anyway. So uh, like and I just I mean, I had the most incredible time and I met my friend Kelly and we both did acid together for the first time. And that became our festival. And we just kind of like kept going every single year. And that was just like, it was, I mean, it, it was the greatest and I'm sad that it's over, but it also makes sense that they can't do it anymore because it was such a shit show.
0: It was but, really disorganized the year that I went. Um, I feel like they had no schedule.
2: No, you literally like you showed up to a stage and it was like, Oh, uh, who's this? And you would have to, like, ask the person that was playing who they are. <laughs> because there was no way of knowing who it was otherwise. And oh, that was, my God, that's a nightmare to like, me. Yeah. <laughs> and like the, well, the, and the, first, like, the first one I went to, like, that was, like, Dozio's festival. Yeah. Like, they always headlined. Yeah. That was, like, the first time I saw Dozio. Was, was, and, and you just so happened to be there, and we never knew. <sighs> but, yeah, I mean, yeah, Farm Fest is definitely, like, the festival that kind of made me love festivals. But... Yeah, I kind of... I feel like I've kind of, like, disconnected from festival world a little bit. We've kind of just... I certainly have. That was very deliberate on my part. Yeah.
3: I love festivals, um, but I had to put a barrier between myself and them just from a working experience. But my favorite festival of all time um, will be Ro- would be Rootwire, hands down, forever and always. That was Papadosio's festival until it was not, but... Um, They're some of my best friends and I love them like brothers and I had just an enormous friend group um, that was always there and always I could rely on to just like, you know, just be this beacon of hope at every every wire for me. And it was just such a a loving and welcoming and um, embracing experience every single time. And they just they knew how to put that together to just make you feel welcome no matter what person you were walking into that and I absolutely I absolutely loved it. I didn't have to be in it for a, from a production point of view or or working. I, I was usually painting or working there, um, and s- still absolutely loved it where that that was a challenge to accomplish uh, close to any other festival. But I do have a soft spot for all good um, in terms of like major festivals. I really do love that festival for their simplicity. Um, in terms of they have two stages. They never have ob- overlapping sets. They're not just trying to cram eighty thousand groups or sets into a festival. It's alternating every single time. And I love that so, so, so much um that I just you can just be in the field and and soak in every single set the entire weekend, and it it just nothing is like that. Well, that's great to
1: hear about the Papadocio crew being as solid as, you know, I've always known them to be just because they come and play our venue quite often. I work mostly just with Kimber Loss and their TM. She's great. And she is one of my favorite TM people in the fucking scene. I wish there was more of that kind of, you know, it's just someone it feels like just like you that's really in it for Absolutely. the right reasons. And they're there just because they love the music as much.
3: Yep, yeah, that's that's them and everyone that they put on their crew. It's just the word there because we love it not just for convenience, or it's usually f- very inconvenient <laughs> and still amazing. I, I can't thank them enough for you know, the, the amazing times that I've had over the years.
1: Now, if you don't mind me asking, what was it that kind of built up you wanting to separate yourself from the festival world in your professional life? Because that's a pretty big thing in the music industry that it is a pretty stressful thing to do. And I know a lot of people, including myself, that often sometimes deal with that feeling of being burnt out and just needing to completely separate it
3: yeah um a big thing for me was just my anxiety levels were way too high in large crowds i was working too much um i went way too hard way too young um with working in the scene and i am i'm very thankful for the time and experience that i have involved in the music scene and especially the uh, festival scene it's something that i truly loved and it was something that i looked forward to until it wasn't and I think it's not festivals I love festivals working at them and painting at them and doing all the varying different things at them is really what what made it a challenge for me the lack of structure um lack of guidance and then kind of just this um I don't want to sound like anti mainstream or anything like that, because I think that anyone who finds a safe place in a festival should be more than welcome to go, no matter how new they are to it. I think that just with the good comes the bad to every large environment. And so as they became more mainstream, the more good people that heard about it, the more bad people that heard about it and wanted to show up and, and throw down. And I think that I started to see too much of that and, Um, I wish I didn't, but then once I did, I couldn't take my eyes off of it and had to kind of wander away from it. Um, Not... I, I, I stopped going to festivals for probably three years straight and I think that it was really healthy for me because then we went to Camp Al and we went to Bloom and I absolutely loved it. Like nothing about it was upsetting and I think I just needed a break because I, I do love festivals. It's a completely different environment than you would usually get just going to a show or even a day-long festival. Um, is just, it. it's a totally different embrace, so.
1: I love that.
0: Could you be more specific about what you mean when you say that like with the good comes the bad and when you refer to the bad how exactly is it affecting your experience
3: yeah um I think that uh there was a certain level of like toxicity the larger the festival the larger of a draw of a crowd they have but also the bigger the crew they needed um so they started to hire anyone and everyone where the smaller festivals were really able to you, I I want to say nitpick um, who they let work for them, that it wasn't just any security company. It wasn't just anyone who was ready to kick anybody out or fight anybody because they did something wrong. The smaller ones were able to embrace that, that smaller aspect that it's like, okay, we don't need to solve this with like throwing this person out of the festival and ruining their, you know, ruining their weekend or maybe even their life if they're stranded there. Um, that, I just saw so much more of that and working in the scene. It was just the larger it got. It seemed like the more volatile to um, uh, just a negative environment it, it became because of that sheer volume. And that was something that was really scary to me. So I'm, I kind of had this rule for myself that I don't go to festivals like over 10,000 people anymore. <laughs> and... Same. So far, I've kept that, and every time that I've been, like, conscious about that, it's been like, okay, yeah, that's perfect. I actually really like this. I think, like, 6,500 is this, like, perfect...
2: Yeah, I like to max it out at, like, 8,000. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. I I think that that's just where the sweet spot is. I've been to hundreds upon hundreds of festivals, um, and I think that's really where my sweet spot is, is, like, the 6 to 8, yeah. And I I think that it just really... uh, it, it feels like everyone's friends instead of just uh, people who are just camped along your row who are inconveniently loud next to you. <laughs> yeah. and,
2: it, I mean, I think, and I think it's, you know, definitely important to like get those big festivals under your belt. Like my first festival season was 2013 and I went to Camp Bisco the last year. It was still in New York. And then I went to Burning Man. <laughs> And that was my first festival season. And so, you know, I think I, I, you know, I kind of learned from then, you know, what I, what I liked and what I didn't like, because then the following season was when I went to Farm Fest and, you know, when I started exploring more festivals and, you know, the summer of what, 2016, when I like ended up in Colorado, like I went to Electric Forest for the first time and, you know, I, I went to Farm Fest and I also like, you know, you go, you go to all these different festivals and it's like. You know, you ha- you have to experience the big ones in order to understand how much more you love the small ones. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like so much more fun to like be in a place and meet someone one time and then run into them like a million more times over the weekend versus like you see someone and you have to like make sure you have your cell phone on you so you can call your friends and meet up with them, you know, at the hangar at eForest versus like just running into them and just wandering off on your own. Like I hate having my phone at festivals and I avoid it at all costs and I still want to hang out with my friends. So it's just smaller festivals are better.
1: (laughs) I think you could say the same for just standard concerts, too. I would always prefer to see someone in a smaller room, like under a thousand cap versus seeing, you know, a great artist in a six thousand person venue. Absolutely. It's all about the intimacy.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do very much appreciate intimacy, especially having grown up with like more DIY oriented bands and having that kind of experience and being able to just like, you know, chat with the bands like before, or after their sets, because it's so small and you're one of, you know, 60 to 100 people there. But I think there is also something to be said for sheer production value of larger venues. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I really even gave base nectar a chance to be totally honest like i i do enjoy the music but i know that it's so much more in the live scene but going into that production value it's just like for me from a visuals point of view like i am a visual art centric person i do love music but my entire life has been been built around making pretty things happen and so seeing that at nectar shows is really astounding and just seeing what they're able to produce and, and other really, um, like high production value, uh, groups or artists like Amon Tobin or, I mean, even Fish. like I'm not a fan of their music to be totally honest, but the production value and the light orientation is absolutely like unparalleled. And so I, I think that just seeing larger bands, I think, Being able to know what you appreciate out of both volumes is is great.
2: And I think, honestly, like, I think that's also why I love Red Rocks so much. I know it's like, oh, yeah, everyone loves Red Rocks. But it's like, Red Rocks is a massive venue, but it feels small when you're there because it's like you know there's still like all of this production value but it's like I have run into every friend that I've ever you know and like if I know that I have a homie at a show I will see them at Red Rocks and it's like even if I'm not looking for them I know that I will be able to find them eventually at some point yeah. and and that's you know but you're still getting you know you're still getting you know, like a a solid crowd, you're still getting incredible production value. And it's just, I mean, it's an absolutely breathtakingly beautiful
0: place. Do you find that Red Rocks is more of the Denver local scene or do you get a lot of people from out of town? Because I've, I kind of think of it as like a mecca. And I imagine that for many shows, a lot of people are traveling from out of town. So does that affect your experience of it at all?
2: I mean, not at all, honestly. Like, I I love being able to say, like, oh, yeah, I just drove, like, an hour from my house and I'm going home right after the show's over. But, you know what, like, you, you, you don't assume that people are from like, you know, the surrounding areas when you go to Red Rocks, it's kind of, that's like the co- kind of like the conversation starter when you're like hanging out in the crowd in between sets and you're, you know, talking to the people next to you and it's like, oh yeah, like this is my first Red Rock show. Like we traveled all the way from the other side of the world and it's so great to be here. And it's like, yeah, me and my whole crew like live right down the road. And, you know, we come here all the time and it's just like, they think it's amazing and we think it's amazing that it's their first time and that like they traveled for it. And I think I think it's just, I mean, it's like, it's a beautiful place where people can like come together and it's like, no, you know, no one's hating on the fact that you're either from there or not, you know, from far away. Yeah, it
3: doesn't matter. You're at Red
1: Rocks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nothing, yeah.
2: nothing matters outside of those walls.
3: Yeah, it's the only thing you have to worry about. Well, I think Red Rocks is a uh, particularly unique experience because very rarely is it just a tour stop. It's not just another city. It is the Holy Grail. It is where you want to end up and I know that's what it was for me and it Red Rocks has been a, a name in my family since I was a child my dad saw the Allman Brothers there 5 years before I was born on my birthday at Red Rocks and you know things like that are just it's my dad has gone to Red Rock shows so many times and so that was something that I always like aspired to once I got into the music scene which is like that's what I need to do, and I live down the road from it.
1: Yeah, and then, and
2: then I mean, and then you accomplished the goal of doing the visuals for lettuce at Red Rocks last summer, which was insane.
3: No shit, how was that? That was amazing. It was truly a bucket list um, experience for me. I have, I don't think I've ever experienced an adrenaline rush and a absolute fear like I have, um, and also like. Total sleep deprivation, riding up to it. I worked so impossibly hard on that production. Um, I I took years off of my life working up to that production because I had actually stopped doing um, art and visuals um, pretty much exclusively, <laughs> and and then my buddy uh, Bo hit me up and. It was just like, hey, you. It's uh, this is what you're doing, and I was just like, okie dokie. I was originally just going to do an intro, and I was like, well, if you're going to have this production gear, you might as well do a whole show, and that was me digging my grave. <laughs> but no, it was a it was a fantastic experience, and I learned so much from it, and really like dove into it. But it had its own set of uh, innumerable challenges. Um, Lettuce is a fantastic band um, who brings a fantastic crowd. I love them. Um, we didn't always see eye to eye on what we wanted the final project to be. And some of that just made the project go a little bit longer. I don't hold any grudges against them at all for that. I think overall the, the product came out fantastic. Incredible.
2: Was, it was absolutely incredible. <laughs> it was so <laughs> cool. There
3: was, is there any place to watch that now? I know that I'm I'm pretty sure that that stream is on Nugs. Um, so I'm, I uh, just watched it the other day week actually and my buddy Bo was just like hey just a reminder and like yeah (laughs) i think think they
2: did it as like a like one of their like quarantine stream specials they like put up their red rock show and it was it was really
3: cool (laughs) yeah yeah and it was it was really awesome um just being able to i think the biggest thing for me was actually even less of doing the production like i i loved that and it was a great thing to you know put on my resume and whatever but the biggest thing was being able to bring my parents out here. Um, I've lived out here for, at that point, five years, and they hadn't come out to visit yet. I go back east to visit them. And so I got to bring them out and put them up in my house and then give them a backstage VIP catered dinner, like, all-access experience to Red Rocks. My dad was just, like, totally in awe of being able to just, like, walk backstage at Red Rocks. Like, it was no big deal. He was so cute. He
2: was taking pictures of, like, all the walls and everything. He was so stoked. It was was awesome.
3: It was really great. If you have
1: siblings, you are easily the favorite. Yeah.
3: And so... Like that, that experience alone was, was worth all the trial and tribulation. And then on top of that, it's like, well, I also got to do a fucking show at Red Rocks. So that's rad. (laughs) So, um,
2: he actually, wait, Liz, you'll appreciate this. He, we, we worked, um, camp out for the cause. Like it was probably like a month prior and we met a, um, there was like a Guayaquil Yerba Mate tent right next to us. And Charlie um, was the rep
3: oh my angel
2: and try, he like literally like as we are like just fed us yerba mate the entire weekend he was like yo anytime you need some we got you grab a can like they like kept doing ceremonies and they would like bring back the loose leaf and we literally left that festival with like three flats of cans of yerba mate and then like three like massive bags of loose leaf and i think that's the only thing that got you to actually doing the Red Rock show is like living off of your mamate. Yeah,
3: because while I was actually at that festival I found out I had to go home and redo it all once I got done with the festival. All hundreds of hours I had already put into it. So yeah, you I had to yeah you didn't yeah you didn't redo for everything. <laughs> okay. So I got home and just started jugging immediately and just uh, got back from the festival, buckled down and, and kept going. So uh yeah, uh if you want to sponsor my sleep deprivation, what's up? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, and while you're at it, sponsor the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, get at that. Yeah, all
1: of us. We are all fiends for your delicious sweet tea. Oh, yeah. yeah.
3: I would, I'd be a dead man if it wasn't for enlightenment. <laughs> and Charlie is my saving grace.
2: Yeah, like lit- like, his job is literally to travel the country going to festivals, just, like, Handing out samples of Yerba Mate And like enlightening people On like all of the traditions behind Like you know Mate ceremonies and everything And he literally just gets paid to go to festivals And like drink Yerba Mate <laughs> It's amazing up.
1: Did you learn about the Mate ceremony?
2: We were always working when they had them Because it was like first <laughs> yeah. thing in the morning And we were setting up our, our food truck But they like they gave us like the gourds and They gave us all the loose leaf And they were like I mean they were so cool about it just, like It would have been cool but Yeah I'll still drink out of the gourds with the straw and everything. So
0: <laughs> Thomas, do you have a favorite piece that you've created either for an artist or like a live painting you've done? Favorite project?
3: Oh, that's really hard. I don't know. Um, yeah. I really like the piece that I did for Sound Tribes Halloween show. Can't tell you what year, um, twenty fourteen, maybe? Big question mark on that one. Um that one I really enjoyed, but that was digital and I I don't I, I don't consider digital cheating, but I get a certain satisfaction out of doing analog art. Um, my f- I think my favorite piece, the one that just like pops up in my head when I think about like my past and what I've done, is this piece that I did at the Highline Ballroom in 2012. Twelve, is that right? Uh, it might have been thirteen. Thirteen, same year. Oh, um, yeah. oh. but. Uh, I painted that. I really enjoyed it and had a good time doing it and don't feel like I messed it up at all. And it's this Buffalo with TVs growing out of his neck. Um, that's just like a weird thing I do. I do like, uh, like old technology growing out of animals. I'll do like, like radios growing out of owls or whatever. I don't know. I have a big thing for like, like dials that really click hard. Uh, I don't know. It's strange, but I really love old TVs, you know, that you can like, you have to do the chunk thing on whatever. I'm too old for this. Um, uh, but then Billy from Papadocio, uh, he really loved that piece and wanted to buy it, so that's hanging up in his living room. So when we go to visit him, I see that on on his living room, and Dude, I
2: just—it's the craziest thing. Like I had that. Like I Thomas and I started dating when he kind of like just had to sever ties with art world for a little while and kind of just had to take a step back. So I've like always known that Thomas Art... But I, like, didn't really know. Like, I, I had never really seen any of his work. He, like, deleted all of his social media. So I just, like, he severed ties, and I just, like, knew that he did art, and that was pretty much the extent of it. And then we get to Billy's house, and all of the walls of Billy's house are covered in Thomas's art. And I'm just, like, taking pictures around Billy's house, like, oh, my God, I've never seen his art. And it's just in freaking Billy from Papadozio's house. Like, it's just covering his walls. It's like, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing in the whole world.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the... The best part about that piece is that Shelby was actually at that show. Yeah.
2: That, was the fir- that was the first <laughs> show I ever went to by myself was Dozio at Highline. And I kind of just like went because I lived like right outside of New York City. And I was like, oh, I know Papa Dozio now because I saw them at Farm Fest last year and I know that I love them. So I'm going to just go out of my way to see them. And I like went to that show and. It was like my first solo show and then it's like come to find out hey this piece is from that show oh my god we were both at that show and we yeah. had no idea
3: yeah another <laughs> half paths. decade later yeah. here we are crossing paths in summit county <laughs> so that well, that one holds a special place in my heart for a multitude of reasons well and
2: then i also like you have like that that guy that you did pieces with where like you would just draw something and then he would like work off of what you like you did like three lines and then he would like draw off of it oh yeah crazy, Redbeard. Yeah. Yeah. crazy I mean, red beard yeah
3: yeah crazy red beard yeah
2: yeah. What
3: a name. Uh, he's he's a he's a Richmond and Charlottesville legend. And we started working on a lot of pieces together and people loved it. We were like two fairly prominent figures in the live painting scene in, in uh I guess the mid-Atlantic at that point. Um <laughs> now it's definitely saturated, but we would work together. We have two very different styles. I am fairly clinical, uh, but fast, and he's slow and loose. Um, but That are I do only I only do black work, and then he pretty much only does color. So I would do all the black inking. But then all my all my pieces that I did with Ali Pristis, who is actually the person that got me into ties with Papadocio, um, she is one of the most amazing people I have ever met, and I actually met her at Camp Barefoot. Oh, I miss Camp Barefoot now. Um, That's a fantastic one in Bartow, West Virginia. That one's awesome. Um, But. Met her there, and then we live painted for Papadocio at the Jefferson. And then after that, they were pretty much like, "Yeah, anytime you want to paint for us, just like hit me up." So that same weekend, after they played at the Jefferson, they were playing in New York, and I was just like, "Yo, what's up? Um, I want to come paint for you in New York." And they were just like, "Okay, cool, you're on the list." So I just drove up to New York and did like a four-day run across New York uh, in my in my station wagon. <laughs> so
2: never look back.
3: Never look back. <laughs> but um, I did a ton of pieces with her. I did um this really cool totem with lunar moss on it at wakarusa i did this uh peacock on a moon Uh, i think that was the jefferson piece and then we did these really cool chameleons on dream catchers um that is hanging up in my mom's uh my parents living room living room dining room dining room um and i she she loves that piece and always wants to like light it up so that anybody walking by the house can like see that in their house which is weird to me I just don't want people looking in my house but like whatever mom do your thing you're proud of your son and that makes me it's happy
2: it's very beautiful painting. it's like it like, takes up the whole wall it's, it's huge
3: I used to only work in like these absurdly large formats of like eight foot by four foot and painting it in like a like six foot wide bar <laughs> You know, that was a lot of my life.
0: <laughs> when you say that the mid-Atlantic live painting scene is saturated now, was there a point that it wasn't?
3: I mean, I feel like that there's always been a scene for it because I certainly was no pioneer by any means. I was brought into it by happenstance. That I was in college, first first year of college, working on a piece in a studio and was talking to some girl about how my dog had just gotten hit by a car. She gave me her number so that I could get the information about her vet whatever that was Gwyneth Gaba shout out we don't talk anymore <laughs> but she was we went out bowling one night with like a bunch of her friends and then she was like hey you want to live paint for Phil uh he does a DJ set at this bar and I was like I don't know what you're talking about but sure like I'm down to make art with people so we just that was the only way we hung out was pretty much just like going to going to shows and live painting at them um so I didn't even know it was a thing when the first time I did it. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know if it was, um, it was, it's hard to say like how saturated it was when I very first started, but it definitely wasn't the kind of monstrosity that it became once I started phasing out doing that. Um, I noticed that there, because of the amount of people that started doing it, there lost this element of, um, I'm not like a structure freak, but I do like maintaining a sense of professionalism when I'm trying to do what I do for a living. Um, So when I'm painting at a show and I'm trying to help out in whatever way I can, stay clean and stay out of people's way and do whatever I need to do to be the person who's always welcomed back. And then someone stumbles into the show with a with a canvas and an easel totally wasted and is, like, fighting the barbacks and stuff like that. It's, like, never an enjoyable experience Being, be like, I know we're doing the same thing, but we have no ties. I do not know this person's name. Like, uh, that, like... That only started happening after I had been in the the scene for a few years and there started to just like be people who were stumbling into that and maybe, you know, finding their way with it. But... Some of that saturation also brought some of my best friends. Um, so with that came a ton of people who would go to every single festival and we would paint next to each other and Chape and Matthews. So one of my best friends who I started painting with all the time, we started touring together um, and through the highs and lows, we experienced wonderful things. I think that saturation started happening when I want to say around like 2014 or 15 when a ton like a ton of people kind of started doing it and kind of kind of abusing it in a way of using it as a way to get into shows for free and put a painting up and maybe sell one while they wandered away kind of inebriated and then there was still a large number of us like trying to make it a living trying to be professional about it um does that answer your question I think I kind of rambled I'm sorry (laughs)
0: Yes, it, it does answer my question. Sick. That was, that was a good
1: answer. Now, one thing I'd like to know, because you guys are obviously very big into production and, you know, visual parts are huge parts of a show. I hear we're not the biggest Pretty Lights fans. <laughs> How can that be? I
3: also see your hat. Oh, oh am I?
2: Listen, Wes, I got to tell you, I have seen Pretty Lights now three times. Um, okay. I saw... I saw Let's see. I think the first time was at Bisco.
1: Pennsylvania?
2: Yeah, the first year they did it in Scranton. that was
1: tough. Okay. Yeah. Mental okay. And
2: then and then the and then the other two times was Base Lights. Uh-huh. Which was wow, well, fuck, what year was that? 2015 maybe?
1: You didn't like base lights?
2: Dude, literally, mm-hmm. like the first yeah. Like the first night, like Nectar opened and Derek closed. And I would have rather been back at the Days Inn than sit through the rest of that fucking set, dude. (laughs) Like, honestly, I was bored out of my mind. And, like, looking around the room, like, it didn't look like anyone else was entertained. Like, people were, like, on their phones. And I, like, I mean, listen, like, I get it. You know, I understand the background. Like, I don't know Derek's whole life story, but I know he's had ups and downs in his life. And I know things have changed in his life. And that has changed his music. And... I just, it, it, three times, I, I gave, you know, I really gave him a shot. So you
1: haven't seen the Pretty Lights live band?
2: No, and you know what's funny, and the, the Noodles always give me shit for this.
1: They should, I'm I'm glad they are. I
2: actually met them at Red Rocks, what, what was that, 2018?
0: Yeah, it was 2018. Yeah,
2: and I met them the second night of Red Rocks. And I, like, literally, like, walked with them, like, to the ramp. And then I was, like, all right, guys, I love you. Have a good time. And they were, like, no, you got to try and come in. And I was, like, I'm not going to put forth the effort. If you had an extra ticket, I would take it and we'd go in. But I'm not going to, like, try and find myself a ticket and now come to find out that's, like, the show that, like, they all, like, you know, that that's the, that's the show they talk about. And that's, like, the one show that, like, we got all the songs we were looking for. And and I, I, was, I was so close and I missed it, but... <laughs> I, you know, I I would like to, you know, give them a little bit more of a shot, and I think that, like, the live band, I definitely would appreciate a little bit more, but I just, like I said, I like it when it gets heavy, and it just, it's so plateaued the whole time, and I'm just bored, and I don't do the drugs that would make it more fun. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting with that is because, well, I guess we'll go a little bit back here to that Mountain Jam set because it's the worst Pretty Light show I've ever heard. Set list wise is a fucking heater, but he I don't know what drugs he's doing. I'm not even going to speculate on that. But I know that was a summer that his longtime girlfriend left him and his sister died. And so then I remember I was thinking about that because I had had way too much acid that day. And I was like, man, like. I wouldn't even fucking come here if that were me. Like, yeah. yeah, right. I can't put on a performance like that in that kind of headspace. But I know that was tough.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've like I've I've heard that from so many people. Like, anytime someone hear like anyone, anytime someone like worships Derek and they hear that I'm, you know, not. PL fam, they're like, oh my god, why? Well, when have you seen him? And what did you do? And where did you go? And why did you feel that way? And blah blah blah. And it's like, oh, well, that's when he was going through this. Right. And then, you know, like, they like they broke up, and he was going through this life change, blah, blah blah And it's like, I am totally sympathetic to that. I absolutely understand. But like, when you're trying to, like, gain a fan base, and when you're trying to entertain a fan base, like, take a step back sure. from the music, if that's what you're experiencing. Which I can respect about, you know, the fact that he's taking a step back now. And it's like, I, I am ready and willing, and Liz, you can hold me to this, I am ready and willing to go see him when he
0: comes back you know I will
1: yes you will yeah <laughs> I, <know> you will. <laughs> I think the big thing especially when you think about the noodle squad freaks that are all super pl thing I think for us is there's just so much emotional ties to the songs because there are a lot like you listen to on the studio albums and it's like there are a lot of very mellow tracks but then you hear them live and you're like oh boy <sighs> <laughs> I've overcome some obstacles in my days, and then you cry, and you look around, and your friends are <laughs> crying. Ethan and Elizabeth destroyed my white t-shirt from just crying on my shoulders at Red Rocks. <laughs> it was the most pure.
2: Uh. <laughs> you know, I get a lot of joy from like my friends having a good time. Like I think that's one of my favorite things about going to Nectar shows with the whole Noodle Squad is like. I can be enjoying myself, and then I look around and my friends are, you know, just as happy, if not happier, than I am, and it just like, makes it so much more fun, and like, especially just Ethan, the way that he is, I think, like, I I think like I, I still, I mean, I honestly do kind of kick myself for not actually going to that show at Red Rocks, because like, I know that that was like, Ethan got his last passenger, and he got the things that he cared about, <laughs> it's like, I don't know this, but I know this. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I know, like, I know I would have enjoyed it so much more if I you know, like if I was th- was there and experiencing it with my friends and I definitely understand that, like, you know, emotional connection to it. And I just I don't have it with him. I mean, granted, like Pretty Lights is like one of the freaking pioneers, like Always Moving is like one of the first like electronic songs that I ever listened to that I was like, oh, this is a cool realm of music. But I, yeah, I mean, you know, like times change and people people change with them and, you know, we'll we'll see. Well, D- Derek, I'm ready for you. <laughs>
0: What is it about bass nectar that really hooked you?
2: So in high school, like I had, you know, my two best friends were Ian and Schmandy. And Shmandy was like super into like in flames and like like the he- like the heavier kind of realm of music. And um, so he and I kind of like saw eye to eye on that. And he was like pretty much the first person I know that really got into bass nectar and like that was like he got like a crazy freaking sound system in his extera in order to listen to bass music properly um and he was like crazy into bass nectar like he went out of his way to see him like solo like all the time um and so you know i think that because i knew that shmandy and i kind of aligned on our music taste so much that that was kind of like the the door that opened you know that kind of that kind of opened that door to to base nectar into that heavier realm and actually the first time i saw nectar was with like like in what was it 2010 or 11 at terminal 5 um and ethan was actually supposed to go to that show and didn't have his id with him so he couldn't get in So he just, like, left and wandered oh, the city. <laughs> it's like, so classic Ethan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, yeah, and that was, like, the first Nectar show I ever went to. And it was just, like, you know, everything had changed from then. And, I mean, you know, I, like, again, just going back to, like, the heavy stuff. Like, Lauren was a bass player in a metal band when he was in high school. And it's, like, as soon as I learned that and then, you know, I started hearing, like, samples of, like, you know, he, like, he samples Deftones, and he samples Tool, and he samples freaking oh, what's that one song? That's Fever
3: Ray? Right?
2: No. That Fever Ray track is awesome, though. Oh, yeah, though.
3: absolutely.
2: Um, oh, Gogo Bordello. Like, he just, like... Oh, Immigrata. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, that shit slaps.
2: Yeah, and it's, like, you know, and he, like, he'll play fucking, like you know, Ace of Sp- dude, okay, <laughs> actually, that was, like, one of, one of the best Nectar sets that I kind of, like, always forget about, because it was, like, kind of earlier on, but it was my first, my first festival, Camp Bisco, 2013, and he closed with Killing in the Name Of, and I was just, like, oh my god, like, this whole set was absolutely insane, it was, like, when, like, I guess, right around when, like, Immersive mi- Mixtape came out, and, um, and yeah, and he, like, he closed with Killing in the Name of, and then um, and then the Biscuits tried to open with it, and it was just like, they were a shit show, and he freaking killed it, and it was just, like, so much fun. It was like, oh my god, this is everything I love about music, just in one place. And, it, yeah, so it's just like, you know, I, I love Nectar, because he's heavy, and he, like, uses tracks, and he uses samples of music that, like, are very near and dear to me, and have, like, you know, shaped me and who I am, and and I am absolutely very grateful for that, and it's just like, he he throws down and he gets heavy and that's exactly what I'm looking for.
1: Now, how do you feel about when he has those more like soft moments? Cause he does have a lot of that in his shows and that's kind of what hooked me is cause at that point in my life, when I got turned on to Nectar, I was partying a lot, very irresponsibly. And like, I was just dealing with my own shit in my own way. And it was just, you know, getting energy out. And I love that. And then I saw him and I was like, oh my God, like, it was like, I can't remember what the imagery was, but it was just so tender And I am what people would call a baby back bitch sometimes. And I found myself (laughs) crying. And then like five minutes later, I'm fucking raging again. And I love that ride he goes on. But do you like that side of him or, or is it mostly the aggressive stuff?
2: No, I mean, I definitely I think that that's like part of the beauty of the way that he he does everything is that he he transitioned so well and so seamlessly and like like you like you don't even realize that like you need a break when you're like going super hard and then he just like mellows it out for you and it's like oh my god like there's air and I can breathe and everything feels beautiful and this is awesome and you can like get down with it in a much different way like I remember <laughs> I think I get a lot of shit for this but like his his set at Electric Forest 2016 I was like tripping like had a panic attack like had to leave my friends to go get like some water and um like go to the bathroom and just like compose myself and I remember I like left and I was like on my way back and my friends were like freaking out they're like Shelby where are you like you need to come meet with us like because it like nectar was about to start I'm like oh my god like I'm not with my friends and it was like adding to my panic attack like literally like could not breathe I was having so much trouble and then like got there like right as nectar was starting I was like, okay, I'm good. I have my friends. I'm totally cool. And like that set was straight sex. Like he literally, like, he started what he started with I think he opened with paracosm. So it was like he started off like kind of like like ethereal and mellow. And then he kind of like just like gave it to you. And then he like drew back a little bit. And then he just like went in again, went really hard. And was like, oh my God, like what is this? And I was just like tripping balls, like, whoa, like thanks. <laughs> like, like like that was everything that I needed
0: <laughs> I think that's the reason that people kind of follow him like a jam band which is kind of unique within the DJ world besides like a handful of others but Bass Nectar is one of the only DJs that people will really follow in that way and when I hear people talk about the Grateful Dead and with Fish sometimes I've I've heard people say that those bands always give them exactly what they need and that they're like tuned into some kind of wavelength almost where they're just like, I don't know how it happened, but I just heard exactly what I needed to hear. And I've had that with Bass Nectar too. I always hear exactly what I need to hear. And I could think back to different shows I've seen and like where I was at in my life. And it always kind of just allows me to reflect and release. And that's what I love about it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's perfect and that's you know i think that's also why like like th- like freestyle sessions that he's done the past couple of years is like so awesome because it's just like he understood that like you know we were looking for like certain things at certain times and it's like freestyle was kind of just like a you know i'm going to i'm going to tell you the realm of what i'm going to give you like we're going to do you know wild style and then dream tempo and then freestyle and it's like those are really broad words and you don't know what you're getting into but you kind of have an idea of it and then I mean, he just freaking blows it out of the water. Like, Wild Style, Um, Sunday Night of, what year was that, 2018, was, like, top two Nectar sets for me. Like, I mean, obviously, because he played Deftones, and he played My Own Summer, and it was just like, I never thought I was going to hear that again after, like, he had just, he had, because it was on Immersive Mixtape too, and he played, like, he played that song when I saw him in Canada that year, and... I never thought I'd hear it again and then he started playing it he like played summertime and then he played my own summer I was like oh my god I've lost my shit it was the like one of the craziest moments of any nectar set I've ever experienced and it was just like one of the best sets ever and I'm ever so grateful for it just like like such a perfectly culminating experience I don't know if you'd consider like freestyle as a festival but I'd say that's kind of at the top of my list of like at least nectar curated events.
1: I think, you know, going back to what Elizabeth was saying, that's one of the bigger things I'm seeing today in the DJ world is artists are starting to kind of take the lead of Grateful Dead and Fisher, having these more remote destination kind of events that take place over a couple of days. And that's probably one of my favorite things. Like you were saying you travel a lot for Nectar. Like that's what I do for Pretty Lights. And I have gone so many places I would never go, you know. And I just, it's crazy (laughs) to think that now it's for like DJs when back in the day, you know, people went on dead tour and like, you know, really went out on dead tour
2: i mean yeah i've i've traveled far and wide for for Base nectar and i mean like i was saying like i literally uprooted my whole life thanks to a Base nectar show so <laughs> like i am i am very very grateful for you know like that community and just you know be, being able to kind of use that as like i don't i don't think i really see the noodles any other time other than, like, we're all going to a show. And it's like, okay, like, I know I'm going to see you at least once a year because we're going to go check out a show together. And it's so funny because, like, you know, the the core group of the Noodles, we all, like, went to high school together, and then it's kind of just, like, branched off of, like, you know, the, like, p- partners we've had and, you know, like, like, people, like, college roommates and people we went to college with and people that we've kind of, like, met at other festivals and we kind of just, like, bring them into Noodle World. And it's just so funny because I... Was not really, like, you know, we went to a small high school, so we all knew each other and we were all friendly, but I wasn't really friends with them until we started going to shows together. I was like, okay, cool. Like, we can all get down. We all like the same kind of stuff. Like, we can be friends. And now, you know, like, 10 years later, I'm, you know, better friends with them than I ever thought I would be, thanks to the music scene. And I'm so grateful for that.
0: What was it about that Bass Nectar experience that made you want to stay in Colorado?
2: So, I decided to come out for the show completely on a whim. I was actually at Farm Fest the weekend before. And we were like hanging out and I was avoiding my phone. And I just like remember picking up my phone at one point. And I was just like, like Catherine had asked me if I wanted her ticket because she ended up with an extra ticket. And I was like, um, OK, I'm going to pull the trigger. I was like, yep, yeah, OK, take it. And so I got a one way ticket to Colorado and I was like, you know what? I can, I can just, like, get a ride back. Like, you know, I have a bunch of homies that are going out, like, from the East Coast. Like, I can just get a ride back with them. I'll figure it out. And I went out and, you know, met up with some friends. Like, went out, you know, a couple days before the show. Met up with a few friends. Um, you know, went to the show the first night. And we all had tickets to go see Ill Gates at the Gothic for the after party. And we were staying, like, pretty close to, um, where was it? Dick's. Um, was where was where center was at that year, and so the house we were staying at was like relatively close to Dicks. So so we all kind of established that after the show we were gonna try and catch some Ubers. We actually I think tried to rent a limo, and we like got it confirmed, or we like tried to like you know reserve some cars. And then after the show it was like oh just kidding like you couldn't actually reserve this, so like you have to figure it out. And so after like an hour of waiting, you know trying to get Ubers, trying to get rides to the Gothic, which was like you know a half hour away, like it was it was pretty far away. Um, pretty much everyone decided that they didn't want to go to the after party anymore. And they were like, oh, fuck it. Like, we'll just go back to the house. Like, we'll just hang out. And, um, I think there was maybe five of us that decided to go to the after party. and um, we got in the car and long story short, they was, there was a massive car wreck in the middle of I-70 car was overturned and it completely like closed all of 70 and we got out of the car and we helped a group of guys flipped the car over and me and one other guy pulled the passenger out of the car and like, basically just like, I, I was like stabilizing his head until the paramedics came and it was like this crazy experience. And we were just like on our way to an after party. And I was just like holding this guy's head, like talking to him, like waiting for like, you know, the ambulance to come. And it was this crazy scene. And apparently, you know, like our Uber driver basically said that there was, a crash on the other side of the highway and this car flipped over the median and ended up there. And I just remember like I was covered in this kid's blood and we just like went to the after party and we got there, of course, like right after last call. So I couldn't even get a drink by the time we got to the Gothic. And I was just like, oh my God, like this is so overwhelming. And this is so crazy. And we just like got there. And I remember we just like, Rage as much as we could. Like, found a joint on the sidewalk. Like, you know, after the show, you're we just like, okay, cool. Like, everything's good now. And We like got back home, told everyone the story, and everyone was like, what? Like, that's crazy. Like, no way. And I was like, no. Like, I'm not that fucked up. Like, this actually happened, and it was insane. Um, and then we like went to the next night um, of center, and I just remember we were like all gonna do acid, and then I was just like, no. Like, I just had this crazy experience. Like, I can't. I can't do anything like that. Like, I need to be in the right headspace. And then I was having this really awesome experience. And I was like, you know what? I, I'm gonna do this. And I like tripped and had the most incredible time and loved on my friends. And then I like, you know, ended up running into one of my other friends, Dan, um, who lived out here. And he was just like, You should just stay. And I was like, you know what? After all of this, like I, you know, I was in this weird place where I like had just finished college and I was trying to figure out what my next move was. And I was gonna like move in with this person that I wasn't really crazy about and I was gonna stay in Vermont and I just like was at this weird limbo. And then I just had this crazy transformative weekend. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna stay here. Like the goal was eventually to end up in Colorado. So I think I'm just gonna stay. And like literally like slept on my friend's couches, like worked for a text festival, and then like went back East, got my car, lived out of my car for two months, got the job on the food truck. And then I moved up to Breckenridge because I needed something to do in the winter. And I was like, okay, might as well just be a ski bum. And I was like, literally, like just because I came out to see Base Nectar, and and that was <laughs> that was the reason why I ended up here. I like called my mom Sunday morning, as everyone like as we were like having brunch, like everyone's getting ready to like go to the airport. And I was just like, hey mom, like I'm just gonna stay. And we like cried, and she's like, are you sure? And she's like, you know what? Like this is not. It was like not surprising because it wasn't uncharacteristic of me by any means, but it was definitely like the most spontaneous thing I've ever done with my life. And I just remember all of the noodles being like, are you sure? Like, what are you doing? Like, like, is this really something you want to do? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And it's like, now they come visit me in Colorado. And it's like, yeah, I'm still here. Like you guys were here when I made this decision and I'm still kicking it.
0: That is one of my favorite stories ever of yours, Shelby. And like, I really admire you for the entire thing between saving that person's life and also just like sticking to your guns and fucking staying out there like it's a really brave thing to do and I don't think I could ever do that
2: I mean yeah it was it was absolutely terrifying like I remember like the first few nights out here like I you know I like there was this 24-hour cafe that I like stayed out one night and I just like made really good friends with the bartender and she was like super cool and she just, like, let me hang out for as long as possible. And there were some nights where I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I was, like, like, what did I just get myself into? But then I, like, went to a dispensary and started telling this girl my whole story. And she, like, gave me her number. And she was, like, yo, if you ever need a place to crash. And it's, like, that's Denver in a nutshell. Is like, every time I told anyone, like, oh, I'm living out of my car. It's, like, hey, here's my number. I got a couch. Like, that was me when I first moved out here. And it's, like, everyone's a freaking transplant. Like, everyone's just trying to figure it out. And it's just, like... I think that made the whole transition so much easier. It was that like figuring out that I was in a place where like that wasn't out of the norm. Like it was just like it was it was more normal for you to be homeless figuring it out than it was for you to have it figured out. <laughs> and like that's that's what I love about Denver. And I'm like so so grateful for that whole experience. And I just I don't I don't think I would be here. I don't think I would have met the love of my life if I hadn't come out here on a whim for a bass actor show. <laughs>
0: What do you think it is about Colorado that brings a lot of people there at a kind of similar phase in their life?
2: You know, I think I think it's just like like there's just such a commonality between everyone's goals, you know, when they end up out here. It's kind of just, you know, like f- for me, I I want to ski and I want to, you know, surround myself with music. And it's like this is the absolute perfect place for that because, you know, you're like in the heart of the Rockies – and you're like in the heart of, you know, like the world of music and it's like everything's like always changing, but it's like those two are very, very constant. And it's like, you know, being able to experience nature and be one with the world around you, but then, you know, at the same time, like still, you know, be, like be in a city, but you're still, you know, clo- close enough to to nature and to like be able to like explore You know, like go hiking and go, you know, kayaking and go, you know, river rafting and skiing and snowboarding and all of that. And it's just like, it's all right here. And, you know, I think I think that that's like really important for people to kind of, you know, like find a place where, you know, their environment aligns with their desires. And I think that's like the perfect thing about Colorado. Is like, you know, you, you. what you know, whether someone's from here and stayed or they, you know, came out here for that purpose, I think that's like, you know, really, really something that you find is that, like, you know they they know exactly what they're looking for, and Colorado just kind of provides it. I've been talking a lot. you you can talk.
3: <laughs> I always listen to you, you know that. <laughs> I think Denver has this mentality that has stuck around since its origin of just you settlers came and hit these mountains and it was daunting or impossible to pass. So you settle up camp until you have the strength to move on or, you know, or you decide that that's what you want and you want to stay there. And I feel like that Denver or Colorado is, it carries on that mentality for a lot of people and why they come here is it was, it was a major thing for me. I had to, I moved to Colorado to save my life and I I'm still here so I guess I did that um but you know I moved here and then I moved away and then I realized it was still what I wanted so I you know I came back um but I think that that the heart of that sentiment still carries on in in Denver for a lot of people and I know that a lot of the locals are like people who are born and raised here can sometimes give some guff uh to people who aren't from here and saying Colorado is full and that kind of thing. Um, but I think that there's something to be said for people who are trying to make the most of their lives um, and coming out to a place that um, has such an appeal as Colorado does that has lived up to the hype for so many people. So it's it's been that mountain pass for me, just hitting it and... Th- you know, this is, this is where I want to settle, at least for now. I, I don't, I don't necessarily need to move past this mountain right now. I'm, I'm in it and I enjoy it. And I, I want to make the most of that.
2: And, you know, I think, I think a lot of people also say like, oh yeah, like everyone moves to Colorado because weed's legal. And it's like, I mean, yeah, that's like a really like solid plus about this place is that I can just go to a store and buy weed and I don't have to like call someone to text someone to see if they have a hookup. Like, it's just very easy. And I think that's like, it's less of like, oh, cool, we can get drugs. And it's more like just like the general attitude is just like laid back because we can just get high.
3: (laughs) It's also a state of healing for a lot of people.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it is like it is medicinal. And I think it's like really important that it's like just like the stigma has been taken out of that realm. And I think that it's like really important. And I think it's like a really good display of like why weed being legal is such a necessity. And like, like, yeah, why the why the rest of the country and the world should, you know, take heed of what we're doing here. Yeah, it's I, amazing.
3: I'm. 30 years sober and i still love that weed is legal everyone when i moved out here it's like oh yeah so you can finally get high right it's like no <laughs> i still don't smoke but it's it's great that the people who need it can get it it's great for the people who want it can get it you don't need to need it but i think that that's a i think that's a great part of colorado one of the one of the many many things they got right <laughs>
1: Well, let me just tell you officially, as a native Coloradoan, you guys are good because you're doing what you're supposed to do in Colorado, not just being a bunch of useless bums that only smoke weed and stay in the city of Denver. That Those people, I think, just go back, you know?
2: For sure, yeah, like get your weed and leave.
1: But I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to hear you guys have made it such a positive experience because for me growing up, I didn't smoke weed. I didn't drink or do any of that in Colorado. I just, I felt such a connection to the place because I, I love the outdoors and I used to have property that was on the mountains that would just overlook everything in Colorado, and it was stunning, and it definitely shaped who I am, and that laid-back attitude is just something that it's really hard to explain, but when you're there and you meet people, you definitely get it.
3: Yeah, my my, my dad came out, you know... 35 years ago but then when they came out last year last summer and we were able to take them around summit county and up to steamboat and all these different things and then an impromptu trip down to colorado springs they they saw the appeal finally it was like this is what i've been raving about this is why i stayed here i know my mom always wants me to move back east but she's like I know you won't and I know why you won't. And she's like, well, maybe we'll just move to Steamboat. And I was like, okay, mom, I'll believe it when I see it. I would love it. Yeah, do it. (laughs) (laughs) Believe it when I see it, though, like make it happen. My whole family is rooted in in Virginia and, you know, they've they've got a wonderful setup there. So no, no reason to leave it for them now. My sister is pregnant with a second child and I couldn't be happier for them. So it doesn't it doesn't make sense for them to leave. For me, it's like this is where I need to be. It's yeah. also way too hot there. And I love how cold it is here. We get eight months of winter. I'll take 12. <laughs> rack them up. Stack that snow. I don't care. That's the only thing that makes me happy. Well, you make yeah. me happy too. But the snow is constant.
2: Close time, Yeah,
1: <laughs>
3: yeah you were close. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks.
1: Now, Thomas, you mentioned that when you came to Colorado, it was to save yourself. Does that have anything to do in relation with your sobriety?
3: Um, I was definitely at a point in my life where that was teetering on changing uh, my sobriety. Um, but it was just a horrible ending to a toxic, uh, emotionally abusive relationship. Um, and I just needed to leave. And so I went on tour with Dosio and by no fault of theirs, I was just having a really horrible time, like couldn't handle it, couldn't do anything, um, that was actually a terrible tour for all of us. Like a bunch of us did a whole bunch of breaking up and a lot of emotional turmoil on that tour. It seemed to be the the season of of breakup. Um, and then while I was on that tour, I actually got a call that I. Got this job that my buddy told me about in Breckenridge who was just like, hey, you like snowboarding, right? You should work with me at this job And in Colorado. And I was like, okie dokie, applied for the job, ended up getting it, got the call for it on that tour and actually just didn't go back home. Just left uh, at the end of tour, finished off the tour, went to Colorado and stayed there um, and slept in my station wagon for six months in negative 15 degree winter um, with woke up with my eyelids frozen shut. And it was still a better experience than that relationship. Um, so, um, so really it was just, I've I've always had an element of like emotional instability in my own life and just suffered with depression and that kind of stuff. So coming out to Colorado was, was my healing nature for that. So when my buddy was just like, you like snowboarding, right? I'm like, yeah, snow is my favorite thing ever. Um, ended up moving out here. and was just like, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this. Um, moved to Chicago after that winter and then realize, like, I love Chicago. I love, 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 love Chicago. It's a fantastic place with a kick ass metal scene, um, huge DIY punk scene that's absolutely fantastic. And the Concord and the House of Blues throw amazing shows all the time that I couldn't be more stoked about. Um, so got actually more into electronic music while I was there, too. And then it was just like, I'm going to go back to Colorado, despite how much I love Chicago and all the vegan food I can possibly eat. Um, the best thing ever. That's one thing that Colorado, well, Summit County lacks. Yeah, Denver's, yeah.
2: Denver's yeah
1: Denver's Denver Denver's <laughs> solid.
3: Summit County, step up your game.
1: The Chicago Diner Yo! is probably my favorite food yeah. I've ever had.
3: Yes! <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's fucked up how fucked good up. that shit is. It's- it makes it's, it's no sense crime. that vegan food is that good. Like, oh, I was fucking yeah. blown away. I literally was eating this burger, and I was like, this is a fucking real burger. I don't know what kind of sorcerer's going oh, on man. here. I was creaming my pants and shitting at the same time. It was out of control. You <laughs> can't
3: control your bodily function. They have that Samoa milkshake. Oh, my God. They got that grilled cheese. Everything about them is absolute fire.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, they can't do wrong. And, uh... Yeah, I definitely I have a super soft spot for Chicago. A ton of my friends are from there, live there. I kind of go back every chance I can get it. Uh, I might be lying when I say that. But when I can afford it, I do it, which it never happens. Colorado, you're too expensive. Switch it up. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I when I moved, I just when I moved here in the first place, yeah, that that saving myself. I had to kind of continue doing that. I moved away and realized I, I I need I need that back. That's really what was holding me together. Moved back and found a solid place. And then I went back to Virginia for a summer and was just like, nope, gotta go right back. And that that time stuck. Um, and I really just I found this Comfort in myself while I was here that helped me make it through those trials and tribula- tribulations in my life um, That were I don't know if I could have done it somewhere else. I tried to do it in a lot of places like a lot of places. I moved a lot and Didn't find it anywhere else and I think I just needed it to be colder. I just needed to like ice the bruises <laughs> <laughs>
1: if you like cold, Syracuse is super affordable and it don't get much colder than yeah this. I
3: tried buffalo and that almost got me okay killed, you know never so mind I'm not gonna do that again but
2: that's the beautiful thing about like living in the mountains is like I think that's also part of why I moved from New York to Vermont was that if I'm going to have to deal with the snow and the cold I want to be able to enjoy it yeah. So like moving to a place where I can just hop in my car and rip a snowboard like in between classes, just like okay cool. And I was like, why well, I went to college in Vermont, and then I was just like, like ver- I, I call Vermont the Colorado of the East Coast. So it's like okay yeah, that's why I ended up out here now because it's just this is just a better version of that. Hey, Love Vermont, redneck and snow. Yeah. That's
1: <laughs> it. Did you go to school in Burlington?
2: No, I actually went to um, it. No longer exists. It's, it was called Linden State College. It's now um, Northern Vermont University. It's in, like, the northeast kingdom of Vermont. So, like, um, if you're familiar with J-Peak, that was, like, I had a season pass to Jay peak Oh, nice. It's basically Canada. Like, I I drove over the border to Canada to go to shows because it was either Canada or Boston. And fuck shows in Boston. So Honestly. And, <laughs> like, Canadians get down.
1: Yeah, I brought up Burlington because um, there's a street in Burlington. I forget what it's called, but it was designed by the same guy that designed Pearl Street in Boulder. And yeah, Church I remember Because I went to Church Street. I went yeah. there and i was like holy fuck this looks just like boulder and i literally said that out loud and some random person walked by i was like designed by the same guy and i was like oh yeah.
2: shit cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah see i had the opposite experience because i went to church street a whole bunch because burlington mm. was like an hour and a half away um so we were there i mean and you know like the music scene like higher ground is an higher awesome venue like mm-hmm. you know like the whole music scene in burlington is so awesome so we went out of our way to go to shows there pretty frequently um and i i had like the opposite experience of like i knew church street and then the first time i went to boulder my homie who was actually like we went to college together. Um, and he was like, oh yeah, like the same guy designed it. I was like, oh my God, I feel at home.
1: (laughs) Now, one thing I kind of wanted to talk to both of you about, because you have your toes and kind of all the, I don't know if I would call them all the main genres that we talk about, but you know, between like the metal, the bass and the jam thing, do you guys notice the different stigmas about sobriety? Just because I know in the hardcore punk scene, it's like completely flipped on its head because you've got the really straight edge culture where drugs and drinking is really heavily looked down upon in some aspects and then you know you come to the base shows where it's almost the opposite where i feel like sometimes sobriety doesn't get the right kind of respect i guess but what do you guys think about that do you see a lot of differences between the shows you go to and festivals you've been at
3: i don't see a ton of that i i do like some like straight edge punk but there's not a ton that i necessarily like intertwine with on a personal or like um on a level that i actually like participate in like i've never claimed edge um i've never like i i'm from richmond virginia where there is like or were i don't really know what the scene is anymore there but there were like straight edge crews that were like incredibly hostile and it was just a scene that i didn't want to be involved with i knew a ton of people involved in that in gorilla and militia and hato 4 and world war crew and like fuck all that like
0: <laughs> i don't have any interest in
3: that and so a lot of the scene that i've been involved in has actually been like heavily intoxicated so for me you know i was the dd i was the responsible one i take care of people I'm the one who's not afraid to tell them when it's you know time to calm down that kind of thing but also I'm kind of a person who wiles out once other people like are somewhat responsibly like getting on the older I get, the more tame I got when I was a when I was a young and I was definitely like wild and reckless and real stupid um but still straight edge but yeah still super (laughs) mega edge no Um, (laughs) um no I uh I think the, the, the weirdest thing that I experience, I don't experience anything weird in the like hardcore and punk scene at all. I see mostly people just being like, like, Oh, I'll buy a beer. No, I'm good, man. Oh, all right. Like, and then it just kind of goes by the wayside. But with it's a very, it's a very strange experience that I don't know quite how to explain because I don't really get what they're feeling because I, I I'll try to get to it. Um, when people are like smoking a bowl and they hand it to you and you say no, they take personal offense to that. I won't say like every single time, but like a, a, a majority of the time, if people know me, you know, they'll usually like, you know, hand me a joint, hand me a split, hand me a bowl. And I'll say no. And they're like, Oh my bad. I forgot. And like carry on. They're like I'm just baked. <laughs> and then the people who don't know me, are just like passing around the circle and this person to my left isn't aware that I don't smoke for personal reasons and I'm not, you know, turning down their bowl for hostile reasons. People take it as, as offense as I'm denying their peace offering. And it's, it's kind of this weird thing of like, Oh no, I'm good. And they're like, all right, whatever narc. (laughs) Like
1: like, maybe you just haven't found the right strain, man. Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. So uh, Billy actually in Babadocio started just telling people that I was a narc, um, just <laughs> Make it as easier. a joke. Yeah. <laughs> just like, Oh yeah, that dude, he's a fucking narc, <laughs> which I loved. I didn't, I didn't care. I won't see these people again. And if I did, it was like, Oh, that funny thing that happened. Um, but that, that is the, the strangest thing that happens to me with, with sobriety. It shows I'm now at a point where, I don't struggle to stay sober. They, I will never deny that I have had moments where I have absolutely struggled to stay sober and not even when I'm at my worst, sometimes when I'm at my best. Um, there's just moments where I do want to indulge, but I just know that I have an addictive personality and have to just steer myself clear of that, of what I've seen, but don't want to. Pa- I don't want to pass any judgment on other people. I want people to have their own fun and live their own life Um, as long as it's not harming themselves or other people. But I've seen too many people harming themselves and I'm afraid of myself harming myself by ending my sobriety.
2: And, you know, I think also, like, especially, like, in the world of, like, electronic music and, like, electronic shows, like, I feel like that's the easiest way to make friends is, like, oh, let me buy you a beer. Like, oh, you want a bump? Like, oh, like, share this joint with me. It's It's, like, that's the easiest way to, like, bring people into your circle is, like, oh, let's share drugs and booze and whatever we can and it's like you know when you're trying to steer away from that it's like oh okay so you don't want to be friends with me and it's like no like i would love to be friends with you but like we don't have to start our friendship off on just that and i think like that's definitely way more like in the electronic scene than like You know, as opposed to, like, when you go to a metal show and it's like, oh, hey, dude, like, that's a really awesome shirt. Like, oh, yeah, like, Converge, I saw them here, like, last year. Like, oh, shit, you were at that show. Like, that was crazy. And it's like, you know, like, you can find common ground in other ways, like, in the heavier world versus, you know, electronic shows. It's like, I think, you know, people are going there for a few reasons. And one of the reasons on that list is to, like, get fucked up and have a good time. And, like, while that's all, like, fun and good, like you know, I think there is definitely like a stigma attached to sobriety, like more so in the world of electronic music than anywhere else. And it's like, it's, it's definitely frustrating because I've kind of, you know, had my bouts with, you know, I've kind of like stopped drinking and I've, you know, I've, I've kind of like been the person that like, Hey guys, like I'm not going to get fucked up tonight, but I'm going to drive you. So like, we're going to have a really good time. And it's like, as soon as we get there, it's like, Oh, Shelby, like, let me buy you a beer. Like, thanks for driving. And it's like, no, like, thank you. And I love you. And I appreciate that. But we're all here to have a good time. And it's like, I feel like there's just like this disconnect of like, there's no way you're here and having a good time if you're not getting fucked up. (laughs) And it's like, it's just it's kind of like, it's Yeah, it's kind of just like a little. I don't know. I don't know what word to use for it. It's not like frustrating. It's kind of just like a little disappointing that like, you know, people in in that environment kind of like, See sobriety as an absolute negative, and it just makes it harder.
3: People also think that it's impossible that I can be sober and do the art that I do. I do very bizarre.
2: It is trippy art,
3: but yeah, I mean, it definitely has like a psychedelic side to it. I have a massive appreciation for that. I was, you know, raised on Almond Brothers and the Grateful Dead, and then things like Nirvana and Portishead, and that. And a musical environment has brought me to a um, lot of different, like, substance use as a tool for creativity. I've never te- particularly, you know, I've never participated my, in, in it myself, but have, you know, almost been like a like a passenger along a lot of those travels, especially with how much I've been involved in the music scene and how much I've been next to people who have been using that as a tool.
0: What's the best way to respect someone's sobriety, in your opinion? What do you wish people were doing more of?
3: Huh. I don't know I ever thought of it that way.
0: I mean,
2: I think, like, for me personally, and just kind of, like, watching your experience, it's like, like, don't pry. Like, that's, like, really the easiest thing is, like, if if you, you know, if you want to buy me a beer and I say no, be cool with it. Like, don't say, like, oh, come on, man. Like, just one beer isn't going to kill you. Like, just one hit of this bowl. Like, no. Like, if I say no, that's it. That's all you need to worry about. Don't ask me why I'm not drinking. Don't ask, you know, don't ask my partner why I'm not drinking. Like, just leave it. And, like, we can all still have a good time. Like, it will it will negatively affect me if it negatively affects you. And I'm I'm already having, you know what I mean? Like, I'm already having a good time. so So, like, the only thing that's going to ruin that is if, you start prying and you think you have convinced yourself that I'm not having a a good time because I'm being sober.
3: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is respecting my decisions. And also, I think the biggest frustration for me is people assuming I'm not having a good time because I don't have a drink in my hand. Um, I have to hold a drink to keep people from asking me if I'm all right. And the last thing I want is people asking me if I'm all right. I'm Fine. I'm great. If I'm not in the crowd, it's probably because that's going to freak me out. But, like, I I have been told that I'm a very intimidating person. I'm rather tall. I have my entire throat tattooed. I'm told that's intimidating. Um, <laughs> I know that people have been intimidated by me in the past, but I'm kind of a teddy bear. But people think that I'm sad or angry or just, like, resting sad slash bitch face. And... I am nine times out of 10 having a good time. I'm just, I just don't have a drink in my hand.
2: <laughs> yeah, We we can still have fun and be sober.
1: Have you gone to a base nectar show sober? Have you ever tried comparing going to something like that? Cause I know for me, I did the inverse thing where I felt like there was a point where I was doing drugs almost every show I went to. Not that I was at a certain point I weaned off doing a lot, but you know, I was still microdosing at most things. And I was like, well, like I'm going to see Soundtribe or Red Rocks. So I'm not going to do anything just to, just to make sure I really do love the music the way I tell myself <laughs> just I do. To make sure. And then I was there and I was having the most fun. I was like, all right, fucking sick. This <laughs> good to know.
2: Yeah, I mean I definitely actually I think the first the first night of Bass Center twenty sixteen was sober. I had like I maybe like shared a beer with someone and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna like enjoy myself and just like kind of coast on the experience and it was I mean, it was incredible. Like I said, I mean, as as we have discussed, that is the, the weekend that brought me to Colorado. So, I mean, yeah, I think I think it is really cool to kind of like compare like sober shows versus like, you know, it's like shows that you have a little substance and it's, you know, and it's definitely I, I can definitely appreciate um, you know, kind of kind of comparing those those two worlds and kind of, you know, yeah, like, I mean, like you said, kind of like taking a step back and like actually reevaluating how I feel about it. and like I'm not just you know, living off the high. It's just like, no, like the music is actually part of like it it is its own high, like is the experience of just the music itself. So I definitely appreciate a sober show now and again for sure.
1: <laughs> Who's that one guy that made a song about music being the drug? guy
2: <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah,
1: that's our guy. <laughs> Are you guys fans of Jade Cicada at all? Oh yeah. Yeah. Did you see the live stream last Friday?
3: No.
2: No, that's we were. Oh. I realized. Man. I realized too late when it was happening. I like uh, remember Connor. like looking at the noodle chat and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> um, damn.
3: We did. Uh, we did watch the Two Fingers live stream though. Oh nice. Yeah,
0: I tuned into that too. That was
3: awesome. I love Amon Tobin and his Two Fingers project. Yes, like I, me too. I can't get enough of that. That like texture sound i love all that stuff like eskimo and ill gates and amon tobin and oh yeah that's that's my shit texture Uh, they have the
1: playlist for what they did for the jade cicada and most the artists did some down tempo stuff like detox unit did a chilled out hip-hop set sweet and they're super fucking good but the visuals that came along with them were just so creamy i was just sitting on my couch couch, a warm little potato and just (laughs) felt the most perfect
3: yeah I definitely want that uh, yeah. that's that's one of the things that a, at a lot of shows I do like I don't nitpick but I analyze I look at a lot of the stuff of like what equipment they're using um, what's the setup how complicated is that what kind of things are they doing to run this because I know how to do it maybe not as well as them or maybe better than them but that's one of the things that I do love to see of just like oh that's a great idea or that would be sick if they did this and you know that i I still love live streams because they're still doing it. Like G Jones had visuals going on behind him, and uh two fingers didn't have any visuals, but it was just fun watching his setup and just seeing like everything he had going on. but i I have been really enjoying watching those streams because it's just like they get these little Pico projectors and just blast them on the wall behind him and they're doing little like, you know, couch side DJ sets or b- brunch DJ sets. And I think that's so fucking cool. I love that like like that's, you know, you guys doing this during this time and i'm also using that opportunity with my buddy sneeze and all all the people who are like using this time to like be creative or better themselves and taking this time to like recalibrate and that's like what i'm so excited about and stoked that you guys are doing this
1: so thanks again everybody for hanging with us that was me and elizabeth talking to her pals shelby and thomas and catching up with the wonderful ways of wookdom and how it brings you to colorado and you can just end up living there forever and we're really excited and really hope you check back in for our next episode. And we got to sit down with Greg Ellis of the Laser Shark. Elizabeth, I'm still so hyped that we got to talk to him.
0: For those of you who don't know who he is, he is the lighting designer for Pretty Lights. And I really enjoyed our talk because he really, you know, as a fish fan, he really helped draw some parallels between the cult following of fish and their music and what it's like to be a pretty lights fan particularly during this time of hiatus cuz fish has had their share of hiatuses so it was great to hear a fish's a fish fan's perspective on what we're exper- what we've been experiencing as pretty lights fans
1: and hopefully we also get a reunion someday
0: yeah i'm ready for pretty lights 4.0 or whatever you what whatever it is we'll have to take some time another time to figure out what eras of pretty lights there is and how we want to define them but we hope you'll tune back in with us in two weeks and in the meantime please follow us on social media channels we're at almost familiar pod on instagram we're almost familiar on facebook and on twitter we're the af pod until next time i'm elizabeth
1: and i'm wes and thanks for letting us take up your precious time